Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, computing, lots of games, basically games uh, for the past games, fortnight. Games, 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 games. Perhaps games for the rest of time, um, which we'd be okay with. Um, Absolutely. We have got a great show tonight. Um, we are continuing to talk about um, games um, and uh, I guess all things game related, both from a Melbourne perspective and from a world perspective um, across the show. Uh, tonight, behind the desk, we do have... Dan Morganti, how are you doing, Dan? Good evening, very well, thank you. Have you been playing games this week? Is uh, that fair to say? I have, but I've been catching up on a game I didn't get to play when it was released, Horizon Zero Dawn. So, oh, strong good. female protagonist and it's, uh, yeah, really good so far. You get to hunt metal dinosaurs, perfect. Metal dinosaurs? Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. They're the best kind of dinosaurs. <laughs> the best kind. Uh, Maze Wallen, have you have you been playing that game as well or know of it? Or? Yes, I uh, played it back when it came out because mm. I'm an on-trend person. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the narrative was great, the score is great. But yeah, this week being Games Week and me being part of Game Workers Unite and releasing a game and all of these things, I've uh, not slept much, getting a little bit sick already mm. um, and I have played no games. No games. This week. You can you can make up for it, I'm sure. I've played my own game lots of times. <laughs> that counts. That counts. Great. I'll <laughs> um, be with you, with you also. Uh, I'm Warren Davies. Tonight on the show, um, if, you, if you're curious about what great games we are making in Australia and uh, I guess Melbourne in particular, then uh, look no further than uh, Little Lonsdale Street. Um, I did walk up and down it today, um, coincidentally. Um, we'll be joined in studio by the team from Tentacles uh, shortly to talk about Misadventure in Little Lon, which is a new um, uh, augmented reality game uh, based in true crime uh, events of early last century, um, which is really interesting. So um, stick around for that talk um, in a few minutes. Um, but also, uh, as Mays pointed out, we are in the thick of a lot of events and a lot of activities around gaming. And we're going to have a chat with uh, Rin McBeath, uh, who's from Perth, who has um, been in the thick of it as well. Um, and uh, they will stop by a little bit later in the show for a chat. But before then, there is uh, a bit of news going on. Um, one of the things that uh, did catch my eye today, uh, there's been a, a Senate report, uh, a bipartisan report, um, into uh, investigations around Russian election interference in the 2016 election uh, in the USA. Um, this uh, report is quite damning uh, and does say that, uh, quote-unquote, it invariably supported Trump um, and uh, recommends, uh, well, a, a, a swathe of hefty measures to avoid this uh, in the future. Um Alarmingly, they do say uh, that uh, efforts to interfere with um, the democratic process there are sustained and ongoing, and um, uh, there has been um, suggestions it's not only happening um, through Russia, but um, through a, a variety of other states as well, um, seeking mm -hmm. to kind of interfere in this. Um, so I don't think it's a case anymore of um, uh, did it happen, might it have happened, could it happen, but it did happen. So is it, it, it will continue to happen. Having the impeachment. Is it going to happen? Well, Warren, I, I, bets. I, there is a great site about um, it does update you on in, impeachment proceedings, which I'll share with you a little bit later. But yes. um, yeah, unrelated unrelated to this is the impeachment proceedings, which um, I don't know. I, I'm probably about a week behind. But I, I think this will help. I think he's. Will it? I think it's help. It will help. But he's just avoided any proceedings so on. so far. Yeah. yeah, he's just impeachment Kevlar. 
Oh, he is. Yeah. What's the next president going to be like yeah. if this one can't get impeached? Hopefully a little bit more accountable. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. Um, no single group of Americans was targeted by the, the information, um, but um, it was a sustained effort um, at, at a, um, a large scale to... Um, I guess the interesting thing was it didn't just favour um, uh, the Republicans, but it uh, favoured Trump in particular. Um, and there's a quite a weird story about uh, some of the agents behind this um, reportedly uh, opening a bottle of champagne and saying how they made America great again. But they only had a very small glass of champagne and then they got straight back to it. Um, so you can't fault their diligence <laughs> against. Fun little. It was a weird anecdote. detail. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> just a, just a little one, and then we'll then we'll keep going. Um, Interesting. Uh, another drama that uh, looks to be ongoing, um, uh, WeWork, uh, one of the, um, uh, I guess, um, startup successes of, of the past few years that um, I, I guess a lot of people in the technology space uh, would be aware of as a, a kind of sucker-uppera of spare office space um, uh, around the globe, um, has been in a lot of trouble both with their uh, share price and with, um, uh, I guess, reports of their um, eccentric um, leadership team um, and CEO, uh, Adam Newman, which I'm not really across, but um, this was interesting um, to see that, uh, I guess, in the wake of uh, some of those revelations, they are losing a lot of um, employees. Um, and it's now starting to hit their tech team as well, um, which is uh, unfortunate. Um, yeah, up to 2,000, uh, 500 tech roles and up to 2,000 roles uh, across the organisation to go um, from a team of 15,000 around the world. Um Ooh. I don't know. I, it kind of feels like the adjustment that was going to kind of happen. You know, yeah. a lot of organisations like this can kind of have their bubble and, and then they kind of drift back to earth. But, um, yeah, it's really it, – it is really sad to see uh, a lot of people's livelihoods being affected by this. Do you know anything about the Adam Newman stuff? I didn't really oh, catch it. Just memes. Just memes. Just lots of memes. I saw a goose meme with Adam Newman. I think that's peak. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I was going to say something about it. I don't like. I don't like seeing a goose getting drawn into this. But um, no, I, I will check the it out. The goose is Marxist as well. It's canon now. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> I'm interested. Um, have you caught any of the stuff around uh, 3G network? Um, I, I feel yeah. like it's only only a few years ago that we we're talking about getting rid of the 2G network. But yep, now we're getting rid of 3G. So. Yeah, Telstra is ramping up its 5G rollout, um, which means they're killing off 3G. It's quite a small percentage, so 0.3% of people in Australia still rely solely on 3G, but then uh, voice calls tend to go through there as well. Um, personally, like Australia's quite now well known for having a really great 4G network, so hopefully we're okay. I think they're rolling some of the 2G network into the 4G network as well. Um, Whoa. Yeah, I'm not sure how that works. Maybe maybe <laughs> we'll try and look into it. Um, could just be like a, we'll just update the digits um, on all the branding or something like that. Yeah. I'm not sure. But um, should we be over to the next one? <laughs> should we be concerned? What 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 should we be pressuring them to kind of keep it open for a little bit longer? What do you reckon? I think until uh, some regions sort of get the coverage that they need, then yes, because we don't want to keep these especially very very regional people in the dark or in the silence and that's that's always what it tends to be as well regional people yeah. like uh, farmers and things like that that actually rely on it if you know they do have a an emergency or something they do need which that which are becoming increasing yeah absolutely so, yeah mm. 
uh, one thing they will be able to do if they can get that uh, 4G and 5G humming is play some sweet games. Um, Dan, what, what what consoles should they be playing those on? Well, there's just been announcements that uh, the next generation of consoles is to be released. But with all uh, mainstream games marketing, you should take this with a grain of salt mm. because they, they're they bigging themselves up a lot here. Um, so we've got uh, PlayStation 5 and Xbox Scarlet uh, and Xbox uh, are known to name their consoles twice, once before um, oh. release and once after release. What was the last name? Do you remember? Uh, it was... Xbox Scorpio, Project Scorpio. Scorpio. Yeah, right. now it's uh, Xbox Scarlet and it'll probably be Xbox 7 or some, some weird numbering system that mm-hmm. Microsoft has going on. But um, basically, yeah, they're promising uh, solid state drives instead of hard disks, um, 3D audio, 8K video. Um, there'll be optical drives. Uh, and also there seems to be a push towards... Um, game services on these consoles as well, or you know, advertise like such as Google and uh, has and uh, Apple have uh, recently done with and uh, PlayStation and uh, mm-hmm. Microsoft and Sony have uh, their own games passes as well, where mm-hmm. you pay a subscription, you get to play games from their catalogs and stuff like that. Which, um, being a collector, I'm not a big fan of. So I hope it doesn't become their main uh, their main games release platform i hope you can still always get the hard copies but you, you like to get them on vinyl do you or? uh yeah absolutely yeah. vinyl pressed and signed by the developers well, right. i always wonder what is the next generation of gamers going to be like because a lot of especially indie developers are never going to be able to afford to release hard copies yeah yeah it's very and, rare yeah and with um uh like a games uh, game service um from the cloud kind of mm. system as well um you ha- you have to kind of get the platform uh holders to agree to put you on their system and if they don't see the financial value then you know maybe we're going to lose a lot of um promising games to you know just more mass uh triple a yeah but also a lot of spam games so there's good and bad yeah yeah that's true yeah you don't want any more shovelware so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, if only we knew an indie games person to uh, clarify what goes on. I mean, how do you how do you think about this for either the, the game that you've just mentioned or future games mm. and the idea that people can stream? I can, as a very casual gamer, I do kind of mm. like the idea that I don't have to spend eighty or ninety bucks on a you know Boy. on a big game. As a very dirt poor game developer, uh, yeah, yeah, same. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. So especially with uh, Apple and Google's new. Um, phone subscription based we're mostly just wondering you know how they're going to monetize things so they have especially with apple they've been able to put out a lot of funds to help us develop the games in the first place which is appreciated um but then okay so the player is paying apple 15 dollars a month how much of that goes to the games that they're playing and if it's time-based what if your game only goes for an hour and a half Mm. you know and what Apple has said that is it's time-based, but also they have some idea of value as well. Lots of levels, maze. You need 300 levels in your game that people can just get through really I do. quickly. I need, and I need 300 currencies too. <laughs> take a take a page out of Candy Crush's book and just keep that candy road going forever. Yep. Yeah, yeah. farming. Yeah, yeah. You can't finish it. Yeah, yeah. No. bring back Farmville or something like that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess we probably won't know for uh, for a little while the, the effect on the whole games ecosystem. Mm. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to hope that anything that supports gaming 
can um, encourage gaming at all levels. But yeah. um, I guess we've seen from music and from content as well, that's, that's not always the case. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, this is not that much of a departure. If we think about Steam, you're not actually buying games on Steam, you're renting mm. a license. Mm, yeah. So if Steam does shut down, then all of the games that you bought through Steam are gone. Some people have described Steam as its own free-to-play game with in-app purchases, which that, are games. That is, <laughs> I've never heard that point of view before, but makes it sense. makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, Steam shuts down, all your games are gone. Yeah. Yeah. i got like 400 games on there. I don't want to lose them. That, that's a scary oh. prospect. Have you even played them, Dan? <laughs> I've played about 100 of them, I think. So I've got three. Well, <laughs> slowly, Michael. Who missed the rest? Who knows? The, the pile's getting higher than it is... Uh, or there's more games added than are being re- removed. So typical. Yeah, you used to get like a cartridge with like a ten in one game where you'd have like the ten games, but you'd only you'd only ever play like the the hero game on that on yeah. that yeah. one. They you'd never that. get around. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I did have uh, one last thing that I, I thought looked pretty cool. Um, there's a uh, a, a new uh, enterprise, um, uh, I guess, with the tech bent, um, looking to help people with um, sobriety. So it's not uh, a replacement for um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or, uh, I guess, programs to... Um, to kind of really um, change life in a in a significant way, but um, Tempest is there to I, I guess teach the underlying causes of addiction and the importance of uh, purpose, meaning, and creativity in breaking uh, addictions. Um, so I guess the first thing that I think of there is maybe it's you know beyond alcohol. It could be for for any kind of addiction. Um, uh, the founders had been spending a fair bit of time working in uh, medtech, and then um, uh, the founder. Uh, Oh, I've only got a surname here, Whitaker, um, has got a, a book deal to talk about this and also to talk about the, the theory behind um, breaking addiction. Um, interestingly, they're, they're looking to focus on um, uh, historically oppressed individuals in particular, um, particularly women. And um, mm. I, I don't know enough about the context of alcohol and oppression and, and women, but uh, it's worth having a look um, from that perspective as well. But um, yeah, we'll put a link up on that. Um, the the content looks really good. Um I would actually kind of want to do it, even though, as far as I know, I don't have a problem with alcohol, but um, I don't know. Maybe I could find out I do. Um, yeah, I think it's great to be thinking about tackling this issue from as many different avenues as possible. You know, mm. AA is one thing, but yeah, I need an app, I need a book, I need mm. a movie, I need, you know, mm. people. Let's just tackle it from every area that we can. Every angle. One thing I'm actually really liking at the moment, I'm... Overall, I'm not a huge fan of the Apple Watch, but I do like the um, uh, the fitness stuff and I do like the breathe stuff. And I'm really challenging myself to breathe and find even just like a little bit of calm in my day um, with the haptic feedback is great. Um, so I don't know. Um, all these little things can help a little bit, perhaps. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. There's games, games, games going on at the moment. Um, Lots of festivals, lots of activities and we're really excited to have um, two of the crew from 10 Tickles uh, in the studio tonight, Emma and Andy, um, who are behind uh, an excellent new game, uh, Misadventure in Little Lon, which is uh, I think part of a series, but we're going to find that out. Um, Emma and Andy, thanks for coming in tonight. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. how did how did the idea for this game come up? Who thought um, we need to do something about Melbourne and crime and uh, I guess the executional stuff kind of comes well, later. But Andy know. actually thought we need to do something about Melbourne and augmented reality and skateboarding. 
Which oh. is always the first thing that comes to mind because I've been <laughs> skating for 30 years. So. And it really morphed a lot since then into true crime. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> well, maybe that'll come up in the second game. Yeah. <laughs> um, and did, was it um, sort of fairly smooth from there or did the kind of idea for the game pivot a bit after the skateboards were lost? Or? <laughs> <laughs> that, was the, that was the first big sort of change. But apart from that, I think most of it, sort of evolved pretty naturally like that. We knew we wanted to do something true crime. and um, So it's part of a series. Can you tell us a bit more about the series and how you got involved and how that impacted your work? Well, I, I guess the, the series side of it is that we knew that we wanted to do more than just one. And, um, well, I think we got told early on that it was that it'd be good to have like, you know, a second one in waiting. So we, we looked around and we found an even older story. Um, but in particular, particular this one, we would love to do, you know, like the sequel and, uh, you know, even a trequel. Um, and I'm really interested in like uh, games that push uh, how narratives are told and things like that. And it's augmented reality. And any time I explain it to someone, they're like, oh, so it's like virtual reality. I'm like, no. So in what... in your words, how, how do you describe the game and, um, and like, the narrative style? Because it's like, yeah. yeah, I love those, um, you know, challenging or games that challenge the convention of what a, how a narrative can be told. Yeah, so, um, so this is our first game and it's called Misadventure and Little On and it's an augmented reality game based on a true crime in Melbourne in 1910. So you actually, if you, you can play it from anywhere, but if you play it in Melbourne, you go to 12 heritage sites across the Little Lon area. Little Lon, um, back in those days, was like the seediest place, you know, worse than down the street here. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, <laughs> it was full of uh, brothel. We used to live there too, so <laughs> it's all right. We get it. Um, yeah, it was full of, like, red light district, brothels, opium dens, you know, all the good stuff, really like grog shops, you name it. So you go, it starts at the State Library and you venture to 12 different locations. You meet the witnesses to the crime. You find out that they were all really dodgy as well. They all had multiple alias names. You know, they're only half telling you the truth each time you meet them and you have to try and piece the story together and then decide who you believe at the end. Without telling us too much or giving away too much, um, what was the criminal... Like, you know, what was their historical place in Melbourne? Yes, so... Um, so, can I, can I just answer on. that with that he is an associate of um, Squizzy Taylor. Have you heard of Squizzy Taylor? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And he was in uh, one of... One of Squizzy's uh, youth gangs called um, the Burke Street Rats. Were they? Was he kind of like a, an acolyte of John Wren, like going back to sort of Collingwood and kind of because um, Squizzy Taylor was a little bit later, like 1900s, 1910, 1920, and he had a, he yeah. had a famous shootout with um, Snowy Cutmore, yes. I think, in Carlton. Oh, you're all over it. <laughs> yeah. In a terrace, and they shot each other yeah. up. And this yeah. is this is Squizzy in his early days. Yeah. So, um, sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. This was before his his rise and before like his notoriety. Um, same with you know this other character of ours. Uh, well, this um, character that m- one of the main characters who's you know whole, mostly unknown because she didn't really um, have her. Sp- well, she didn't get caught. You know, 
So <laughs> <laughs> we can tell you a bit about the story without giving too much away because there's yeah. so many twists and turns and it's a real doozy. How long do you spend uh, researching a game like this when there's, you've got that kind of like wonderful historical narrative and you don't necessarily have to invent, which I guess a lot of games do, and was there any kind of blending where you're like, let's, this is a great departure point, but we'll have to obviously create a rich kind of idea for this person? Yes, absolutely. So um, we worked with Michael Shelford, who runs the Melbourne Historical Crime Tours, um, and he led us in on this story. Um, we went on one of his tours with our teenage son um, and then had to describe a lot afterwards about you know brothels and things like that which is <laughs> interesting um, yeah so Michael told us about this woman Maud Gunter um, she could do flying roundhouse kicks and she liked to use a hat pin as a weapon. What a resume we were, at, we were just enthralled from the very get go and then she just got even more complex and just quite an amazing character and an amazing woman um, there's a lot in the newspaper about her from um, early on under one name, Maud Gunter, but she also has six other names, five other names. So um, so we looked at the coroner's report from Michael. We worked with Michael a lot to flesh out who else was involved and he went and sort of dug around a bit more about them. But then you're right, we had to bring in a story um, to it. So mostly it's totally factually correct as much as we could. Um, and then some of the things that you come across in the game, it's just too crazy to be believed, but chances are that's the truth. Like that's the real stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the other bits that we had to intermingle um, that aren't as exciting as the real stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the AR components? Like, are you looking at your phone? Is there stuff on the streets? Um, how how does that part work? Um, so, the the map will bring you to, let's say, you know, the first level um, is a is a paper boy, and you um, when you when you get close enough. So it's a, I guess it's a geo geo located point um you get close enough and you get told to place a scene and um a paper boy will walk in and he's selling paper and um the the interactions are like so you can um you get a you know he's like a penny for a paper so you obviously have to go into your inventory well sorry obviously you get you get um tutorial to do that and um you pull out a coin and there's a first person hand which Mm. then you have to put the coin close enough to his hand and he'll take it off you and then he'll give you a paper which you take into your inventory and then you can read to, you know, in that same sort of first-person hand. So we sort of trying to utilise um, uh, the, f- the first-person hands as if you were, you know, playing like a first-person game but you're doing it on the streets of Melbourne or in your lounge room, you could play it anywhere. Is, is this something that you'll need a notebook for yourself so you can write down notes and make sure you've got all the aliases in order and things like that? Would that be a benefit for the game? Conveniently, the, the <laughs> notes are taken for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And the, we've just put in um, a bit of a recap uh, because there is you do meet a lot of characters and they do um, have a lot to say. So there is a section... Um, next to the inventory that keeps your notes and there's a little sketch of each character um, and then you can ask questions to each one as you meet them, you collect things. Um, you know, you, you, we're using the interactions as a way to progress the story. Yeah. And there's, um, you know, there's, there's um, newspaper articles that we've found in Trove that support 
you know, a lot of the, the true stories that happen. So where you can, I'm guessing people won't read them there and then. Um, so you can usually go back in and later and, and read them or so read them at a cafe or something. You know, so there's all these nice little side uh, notes and stuff. It sounds really rich in detail, actually. Yeah, yeah. and there's also um, artefacts that were dug up from the Little On excavation. Um, like, yeah, they found heaps of oyster shells, champagne bottles, gin bottles, absinthe bottles. It was just the place to be. Back then. <laughs> that, that was near that uh, Madame Brussels place yes. n- now, yeah. yeah that, and so that's actually named after an old brothel, is it not? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So yes. she she was on the upper class side of the, the Lonsdale side street. Oh, the okay. other side is a little bit more seedier, yeah. but, you know, it was all frequented by all the parliament, yeah, which is just yeah. up the road. But yeah. that's another character that everyone tends to know. They know Madame Brussels, but um, Maud Gunter is... Her story outside of Michael Shelford's tours, her story has really been well hidden until now. Um, so it's pretty exciting. We're yeah. really excited. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> well, I think that's that's thanks to um, Jenny Sams, who yeah. who is the granddaughter of of Maud Gunter, and so she's been you know looking into her for like the last ten years, and, and we've. She's- Allowed us to tell her story, <laughs> yeah. which is just high fives all around. So you've got all this first-hand mm. um, information and content that you can draw upon. And really amazing too because, like, Michael, he's been spent 10 years digging through the police records in the public records office, whereas Jenny has the stories from her father. So to combine the two, it's just like a rich tapestry of uncovering all of the detail about Maud and just how truly awesome she was. Yeah. 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 Uh, have you completed the other two games or are you working on those at the moment? Or uh, we've, We're working on one very early stages. So mm. There's um, a Melbourne podcast called Dead and Buried um, and we're working with Car- Carly Godden on the, next, um, on the next game about a fortune teller from the Eastern Market. Mm. Um, we just got some funding from Film Vic for that. Thanks, Film Vic. <laughs> so is this another um, true crime Yes. Uh, adventure, yes. 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 It involves phrenology and um, it involves, like, you know, all these experts of the time coming up and saying, like, oh, you know, I think, you know, he was he was mad from drunk, drunkenness and, you know, yeah, <laughs> right. crazy stuff. Like. So old-timey illnesses <laughs> yeah. that, that yeah. we don't really yeah. have anymore. <laughs> hysteria. <laughs> they, they, hysteria, they, that's yeah, right. Yeah, they're just all hysterical. Yeah. We that's just right. had our um, launch, industry launch at the old Melbourne jail and they have all of the death masks there and phrenology was like the sh- study of the shape of the skull and mm. yeah. just... It was a real science. Real. Long time yeah. ago. Really At some point that was very much believable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we're very much looking forward to uh, playing more of uh, this first game and uh, into the rest of the series. And uh, well done on, on your work so far. It looks really exciting. And um, thanks for coming in and having Thank a chat with us. Thank you very much. Oh, it's thanks been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Triple R. You're listening to Bite Into It on 3 Triple R. We are here with Rin McBeath. Rin is a Perth developer with his fingers in many pies. He's a 3D artist, community manager, secretary at Perth-based initiative Let's Make Games. He mixes his background as a trans man and a big old nerd to create inclusive and welcoming spaces for both developers and players in his work. He's also working on two wonderful games, Acrylica and A Little Bit Lost. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Have Acrylica and A Little Bit Lost made it down to Melbourne? Uh, not to this time. Uh, hopefully next year. Um, 
oh, a little bit lost will be showing at PAX this year. Exciting. Yes. So what are you doing down here? Um, I'm just here for the conferences. Uh, unfortunately, I can't stick around for PAX, although I would have loved to have. Uh... Yeah. PAX... Pax, so how did all of these things kind of line up at the same time? So I'm, I'm kind of an observer of the games community. Um, how did Melbourne get so lucky to have all of this at the same time? Well, Melbourne sort of uh, became the centre of games when um, Film Victoria and a lot of government initiatives continued on where in other states um, it sort of petered off a little bit. So uh, Melbourne's sort of become the centre hub of games and that's why we all... Uh, sort of travel into Melbourne this time every year and sort of, uh, you know, merge the communities and have fun and meet each other and go to lots of meetups and, you know, sort of make networking connections. Yeah. Uh, so what kind of meetups are you uh, into this, this year? Uh, this year is my first year coming to Melbourne for um, uh, GCAP and uh, MIGWA. Um, and so uh, this year I've just been going to GCAP, which is the conferences, and I've also been to a few little uh, networking nights and things like that, but nothing too hectic so far. So what is it like in Perth? Is it really different to down here? Um, Perth is interesting in the way that everyone is so spread out but close. There's a very strong community in Perth, um, which I can't speak to what Melbourne's like because I've not spent too much time here so far, but I've found in Perth um, the local community is so... Uh, intertwined. Um, everyone in Perth sort of knows each other. It's called getting Perth when you're like, you speak <laughs> to somebody new and that you know them, but you don't know you know them. Yeah, right. Amazing. So what's your work at Let's Make Games? So tell I'm, us about that. Oh yeah. I'm secretary of the organisation there, which basically means I turn up to meetings and take notes. Um, <laughs> but my role in the organisation also covers a few other things like making sure events run smoothly, um, and also looking into other avenues of how to make the organisation run better. Um, we're in a constant state of um, improving ourselves, um, just perpetually, uh, you know, moving forward. Aren't we all, though? Yes. <laughs> and how does that translate into games? What, what kind of uh, initiatives do you try to put forward? So Let's Make Games runs a few different initiatives. Um, the main one that most people know about is Perth Games Festival, um, but the little day-to-day -day things that help support developers in Perth um, are Let's Talk Games, which is uh, an initiative where we get uh, talented developers and uh, specialists in the industry in from the Asia-Pacific region and through Perth to talk about their speciality and share their wisdom with the rest of the developer community. Um, and also Loading Space is our co-working space that runs once a week. Um, and sometimes on uh, once, a, once a month for a special edition. Um, and those are the main sort of events that Let's Make Games uh, really promotes heavily. Yeah. And what, what do you see as the, I, I guess, the potential or sort of the current potential for Perth and I guess the, the next little while um, for creating a different type of game or a very kind of like either Perth or West Australian type of game? Mm -hmm. I guess Maze or Dan could talk about sort of what Melbourne does while there, but I'd be interested to hear what Perth is going to do differently or is maybe already doing things differently. I think Perth comes from an interesting developer's perspective in that um, there's not a lot of money going around in Perth. Everyone uh, runs on a very tight shoestring budget when they do have budget. Um, so 
there's a few really amazing talented games that have come out of Perth. Um, for example, uh, Brian Fairbanks has created a game, Lost and Hound, which focuses on uh, audio-based uh, gameplay, so uh, sight-impaired people can play the game. And that's such a niche area of the market that would have never been covered if he hadn't gone, I need a really focused way to um, sort of move into a niche that nobody else is covering. Um, and uh, recently, Screen West, our version of um, Film Victoria, uh, put out $100,000 split between teams uh, and he was one of the lucky receivers of that fund. Um, so he's finally got some money to go towards his game um, and that's a, just a really amazing project that's come out of uh, WA so far. What was the interface for that game like when you say it was largely sort of uh, auditory? Um... Yeah, so the game is set, you, you play a corgi. That's like selling point number one. Yeah, mine. I'm getting it. Um, And as the corgi, you're a sniffer dog. So uh, you sniff, and as you sniff, you hear the sounds around you. Um, And you use those sound-based feedback to find people, lost people. Um, There's a little bit about medical sniffing and things like that in the game. Uh, But it's really based around using audio inputs um, to help navigate the player in the correct direction. Is it like a little bit of synesthesia where you're sniffing but you're hearing the... Absolutely. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's that's interesting. I've never really um, thought of that kind of um, yeah in, input before, but yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Brian's also involved in another game that uh, from uh, WA called Legacies, which uses a similar system um, uh, with a submarine. Um, and so they have, you know, the sonar ping and all that, mm. but it's based in the auditory space that you can hear with headphones around you. Um, and it's a similar system, but used in an entirely different way. Um, the creative idea that prompted this is just it's so different. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And what was your pathway into games? Uh, are, are you sort of actively making something at the moment, or um, do you have a different interest in games? Or Yeah, so I began looking into games when I went to university. I looked at the course list and went, oh, that has the word art in it. I'll go pick that art course. It just so happened to be games art design. Um, And now I'm in my final semester, still at university. Um, I'm currently working on the student project, the um, capstone final project of my degree, Acrylica, which is a bit like Splatoon mashed together with Portal 2 paint. So you get the Portal 2 paint in a spray can and you get the chance to traverse uh, puzzles using this bouncy and speed paint at your will. Um, which we're really proud of the work we've put into that as a project and we're hoping to take it a little bit further after um, graduating. I can already see the speed runs coming out of that game. Oh, so <laughs> many speed runs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, what most impressed you at uh, GCAP so far, or I, I guess it uh, maybe over already, but um, did you have any of those kind of like mind-expanding moments where you're just like, wow, I need to go and see someone and talk to them about what I just heard? And Yeah, absolutely. And- There's been a few talks I've attended over the last couple of days that I've just gone wow, that was, I would have never have sort of opened my mind to that possibility if I hadn't come. So one of my little, you know, deep, dark secrets is I want to be a producer one day. Um, But when you're working uh, at looking at games art and stuff, that's not really something you cover. Um, It was more of a 10-year goal for me, and I went to a talk on Monday morning, and I just went, oh, this lights the fire in my heart. I really want to go and, like, look into producing as soon as I can. Um, and another one was all about community management that I attended today. Um, and that just made me want to talk to every one of the speakers, like sit them down in a small room and just pick their brains. Um, 
unfortunately, everyone's got places to be. But uh, those are the two things that really prompted me to sort of go out and learn more. Yeah. How did you get into these community management roles in Perth? You're quite active across a range of different initiatives. Yeah, so it sort of begun when I started getting involved in my university club uh, co-op. So that's the game developer club at Murdoch. Um, I'm currently president of it. But a few years back, I started becoming more involved in the management of the club. And that led me to become more involved in the management of the Perth developer scene through Let's Make Games. And that really led to... Um, uh, you know, just getting involved in the general community itself. Yeah. Cool. Um, if you were, um, uh, I guess, to kind of give a review of what you've seen in Melbourne or, or what you've, I guess, the Perth perspective on what we're doing, what, what do you like about coming to Melbourne and sort of embedding yourself in, in what happens in games here? Is there anything you're jealous of or would like to kind of like experience while you're here? Um, um, yeah, so... Um, the funding would be nice sure. if we could get some of the funding over in Perth. That would be delightful. Well, it's all relative as well because there's a lot of people here as well. So oh, the pie's bigger, but there's more people trying to get into it. The uh, sheer pool of talent in Melbourne is also a bit staggering. There's so many talented individuals over here. Um, and if we could even reverse the stream, um, a lot of uh, Perth developers I know, they graduate in Perth and they move to Melbourne because that's the place to be. If we could even steal back a few people, that'd be delightful. Um, and uh, create a similar scene in Perth is is my end goal, really. Yeah. Uh, and what what uh, tell us a little bit about the, the um, game that you mentioned uh, earlier that you were sort of working on, or as part of your kind of final semester work. Can you uh, tell us Acrylica? a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that one, uh, it's been in development for about a year now. It started the um, beginning of the university first semester. Um, and that's got five people on the team at the moment. Um, it's been an interesting process. Student student groups, especially when you don't get to pick your teammates, are always an interesting process in that sense. Um, <laughs> group work. <laughs> group work, yes. Um, but we've all worked together very well and sort of overcome a lot of hurdles as a team, which I found really, you know... It's really improved uh, how I look at, you know, working as a team in a studio and things like that. The other uh, game that I'm working on at the moment is Little Bit Lost, which is a professional project um, headed by Grace Saunders, who is a delightful man. Um, and that one is honestly just a delight to work on. I've never worked on a project that's been so um, open and friendly and... Yeah, I, I can't sing his praises high enough. So it's set a bar for your industry life. Oh, it's set the bar so high. <laughs> <laughs> so what's a little bit lost like? Um, it's basically uh, a survival voxel game, but Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, um, I love Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> so you're, like, you've got these giant spiders and ants roaming through the world and you're uh, sort of you're tiny and you're trying to survive with these huge blades of grass towering around you and... Um, it's just a really interesting premise for a survival game. And survival games are my favourite type of game. So it was it's so good to work on that sort of thing. And you're doing the 3D art? Yeah, I'm at the moment uh, a 3D generalist as my speciality. So um, I focus at the moment on the uh, armour armor, uh, models and things like that we'll be using in the game. Uh, but later on, I imagine I'll probably move on to a different role and we've mm. sort of filled that. What has the learning curve been like going from the university setting to this industry setting? Um, I've been very lucky. My university's very 
well equipped to sort of teach industry standard uh, practice. So I haven't really had any sort of, oh, I'm way under skill for what I need to be doing. It's always been, ah, oh, yes, I, I bring something to the job, which has been really, really nice. Nobody likes to feel like they're not qualified for what they're doing. Um, and sort of my, my degree at Murdoch's really helped me um, feel like I know what I'm doing with my job. Yeah. So if uh, any folks would like to connect with you and talk gaming, 3D animation, uh, anything like that, what would be the best way to do that? Or how can people sort of follow some of your, your games projects? Yeah, so I post most of my professional work on Twitter. I'm at Rinaround. Um, yeah, uh, otherwise, I'm always happy to add people on Facebook if you want that more personal connection. Uh, <laughs> or you can add me on Instagram, perhaps, but I only post selfies there. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Been great to have you in the studio and uh, to come back and uh, feel free to steal some of our um, games people as well. I'm sure they could do with some sunshine and uh, warmer weather out in Perth. Um, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Hey, we're back just for a bit on Bite Into It uh, before Anthony steps in for International Pop Underground. Maze, you had an event you did want to mention. I do. So on Monday, the last day of Games Week, there is the Education in Games Summit, which is usually at Acme, but this time it's at the Jasper Hotel on Elizabeth Street while Acme is going through all its shuffling. So this um, is usually aimed at primary and high school teachers talking about how to get video games into their curriculum. Yeah. We'll tweet out a link to that. Uh, thanks for the show, folks. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And we'll be back next week. Triple R. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.